God damn it. See, I always, even when I have a guest, I play the wrong fucking one. That's the right one. Okay, I'm back, and I have Bicycle Mark again on Yeast Radio. Uh, uh, oh, I forgot. I'm supposed to save the template before I, I start the show, but... So I started... Um, just a brief technical geekism. So I started saving all of my shit in the cloud, right? So I got the two-terabyte iCloud thing. Yes, I know it's insecure, and we're all going to die, and they're going to kill us, and I have no privacy. Yes, I know that, but it's just my grum. So I... I have that thing where you can... So I'm trying to figure out, like... You know I get OCD-ish about pretty much anything technical. So I'm thinking, like, how can I... Because I have a mini... A Mac Mini at home, and I have my laptop when I travel. How can I have one place where I can sort of transparently, like, have my grum holder in the cloud, and that way I don't have to, like... If I'm traveling, I don't have to copy all my templates to the other computer. Or if I have... A, a, a gram that I create, I recorded on the mini. What if I want to edit it on, you know, when I'm remote? So I put it all in the cloud, and I have absolutely no idea why I'm mentioning that. But oh yeah, so so part of that new workflow means I really am supposed to save my project before I start recording. Otherwise, it's just going to save it into this generic. It doesn't matter. It, it's fine. It's going to be fine. Need a name. Huh? It's all going into the cloud anyway. But you need right. to give it a name. Right, so that way it will be in a more specific place in the cloud and not, you know, just, you know, so I can manage it instead of yeah. otherwise, as an untitled Grum, it's just going to be in, in my template holder, which is going to ever balloon, but like my body. Yeah. Like anyway. Balloons? Yeah, Gosh, do you have a I, lot yeah. of Grums never released somewhere in a, in a folder that you just... no. Not really. I, I, there's very few that I never released. I do have them, but what I do is my sort of process is why I always create an AIF file, an uncompressed file when I do the grums. This is from all the way back. And I save those to disk with the idea that, you know, maybe someday I'll want the uncompressed or I'll sell them. I used to save, save them on DVD. Um, but, um, so I have them somewhere, but I would have no way to know I w it would be very hard for me to find the the few that are unreleased, which is probably a handful. And if it is unreleased, it's usually because somebody um, asked me to to do that because they were, you know, had regretted saying something. Or it's very very rare. And then there were a couple grounds where they were just so profoundly bad, even for me, that I just was like, <laughs> it was like just playing operas and drinking coffee and not even and bad everything, just. Anyway, whatever. So I'm I'm glad that you were able to find time. I feel like things are. Let me make sure I'm recording. There's a great art. Uh, I I don't think I'll have time to hear from Roger, but he made a great observation on his most recent uh, email to me, <laughs> which is basically he said he listed several of the instances when I said, "Are you recording?" But I wasn't recording. So in other words, he listed periods of time where I didn't put out a grum, so therefore I must not have been recording. So he assumes that I made a grum and said, am I recording? The answer was no. It's very kind of existential and weird, but uh, Roger's good for that. So how have you been? How's, how's, I know we haven't, we've talked recently, but um, I, I really think that we need to talk again because there's so much going on, and I just yep. wanted to um, talk about some things I had read about and 
And I'm, yeah. yeah. So what else, what 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 have you got to say? Because I'm just talking now. I'm just talking. Sure. Just <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's connected to the current uh, conflict in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like conflict is being really kind. Like <laughs> the it current is. invasion of a country by another country. Or Putin would uh, call it an operation, which is like, oh, I yes. got to get a, you know, I got to get my tonsils out. Yes, that's right. If we want to be platformed in Russia uh-huh. by Russian platforms, if they exist, then we need to use the language. <laughs> Otherwise, we're out. Uh, but yeah. It, yeah, so I don't know if it's related, but it, it's true that ever since it started, which I guess we're now at the end of the more than second week. Yeah. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not looking at the calendar, mm-hmm. but um, I feel not well. <laughs> like I, It might just be a coincidence because I'm also... Uh, you know, I get woken up uh, every few hours by a baby, mm-hmm. and uh, and she's just uh, except for today, but she's usually unhappy, which is um, surprising. I mean, I just thought there would be moments where she was kind of not happy, but at least not miserable. So it's like combination of what's happening in the outside world and what's happening at home. Uh, even though at home, you know, uh, they make up for it by what's Can in your you water. See that? I'm so sorry. Do you see what's in my water? I thought it was bugs. It's chia seeds. I was making chia pudding, and I just realized some of them landed in my water, but it looks like bugs. What? Isn't that still good for you? Like chia in water? It's like overnight oats. This week. Yeah, this week it's still good for you. I fucking love the shit. I fucking love chia. It's just such an exquisite flavor. I usually do overnight oats, but I did chia because it's, uh, I don't know, overnight oats (laughs) with chia, but sometimes I just like to be just chia. I love chia. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we also put in the, I say we, because I feed the other person, but uh, I handle all the overnight stuff because I'm obsessive like that. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll not be able to sleep unless I've done the oats, except for the nights where I wake up and I'm like, oops, I didn't do the oats. Oh, well. Uh, but I put in flax, but I'm really, I feel like flax might make you, well, does it, make you shit. Does it swell like the chia? Like, does it get thickening? No, thick? I don't it notice it. I, I mix it all up and I don't even notice it. But oh, so I feel like my perfect. stomach does more flips. Hmm. Some people say you're... Fl- <laughs> Thank you, Michael Barbaro. Some mm. people say the flax God. has to be... He has really been active listening. Like I listened to that show you told me to listen to, the, the one about Zelensky, and he's just like... It's like he's so... It's it's very editorial. His active listening is... I think it amounts to a bias. It's like he's just like... Yeah. Well, they probably told him that podcasting is personal, Mm -hmm. and so he's making sure to stick a lot of his person in there. (laughs) It reminds me of, they used to do the Second City TV, SCTV, which was like a variety show in the 70s that was deeply funny, and they used to do this fake Merv Griffin show, And, and Merv Griffin, they'd always sort of parody him by every time somebody would say something, he'd go, ooh, 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 we'll be right back. And Barbera's basically that. Huh. We, okay, so anyway, I'm completely so, interrupted. I wanted to ask you though did your did your baby? Yeah. I, I don't know how is your baby what six weeks old now? That's correct. So have they expressed their gender and pronouns yet? Are you able to gender them yet or no? Let me think about that. We've been using more pink swaddle oh. fabrics <laughs> that we're giving as gifts. Um, so there's a lot of mm. pink mm. around, which initially we avoided the pink. Mm-hmm. Um, we stayed out of the pink, uh, and more so in the stink. 
Yeah, there you go. Don and Drew <laughs> and, uh, reference there. Got to do that. But uh, but no, no, she hasn't really. You know, she has two or three syllables that she focuses on. Oh. A lot of la and oh, uh, wow. uh, and and sounds yeah. of disgust. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, is her most common thing to say when she's annoyed. Uh, yeah, so I do a lot of karate <laughs> sounds right back. I feel like we're sharing a moment together. So you're 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 doing good. I just made in. I was busy with. Patty Pam Pam. If you ever get to go to, uh, you probably won't, but if you ever go to the Koppelkirk, uh, do you know where that is? The Koppelkirk? It's some church in Amsterdam. And Pat, Patty Pam Pam, who's a friend of mine, one of the pe- first contestants on Drag Race Holland, does a drag brunch, a gospel drag brunch there every Sunday. And it's very fun. All the big drag queens come there. And I am her announcer. So I updated the uh, the voiceover today. So I had to say like hallelujah in like a million different ways. Yeah. Oh, let me find it just for fun because I think I that is it. already reason enough for me to make a pilgrimage. Okay. Here, I, I am so, still scared of gatherings of people, but I mean I've been taking oh, public transport. It'll be fine. But so here's what. So I recorded the the intro, which I won't play. But she wanted me to to say hallelujah in all these different ways. So this is what I recorded, so that she would have a a huge selection of hallelujahs. Okay, here we go. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I'm going to lose my fucking mind. I had to add that at the end. But she only used one of those? I don't know. She asked for like all these different things and I'm just like, okay, whatever. And then in the actual voiceover, the grammar was like not what I would use, but I didn't want to like correct her grammar because she didn't ask me. So I just did it as verbatim. And then she's like, can you say hallelujah this way? I'm like, well, I'll say it every possible way I can think of. And that way I can go back to my last day of work. So I did. That's fun though. (laughs) But you should check it out. I would love to, you know. Couple Kirk. Yeah. I'm trying to get Fashion Slurry to go, but she still hasn't yeah. gone either. And she was my co-host. Yeah, anyway. of course. God, of course. why are we avoiding the subject? We're not. We're just chatting, right? We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this. We'll but it's also a reminder of how many other things are going on in life. And yeah. that's that also concerns me in, in some way because of if it's important that people pay attention to what is mm-hmm. going on in the hopes that, well, one we could stop it or it would stop mm-hmm. so that we could help in some way. Then the longer this goes on, the I, I'm, I'm afraid that we're just, you know, people get busy with their thing. Like it's good weather in Amsterdam, just as a small mm-hmm. example. If you're, I don't know, below the age of 40, your priority looks like it's to be outside with your friends. Cause you haven't gotten to do that. So everybody says, even though I saw everybody hanging out with their friends mm-hmm. over the last two years. Um, so, you know, what's more important, trying to figure out a way to help Ukraine or going out for a drink with your friends? Well, and you said you, you have a friend who's doing a bus from, what is yep. that about, from Ukraine to somewhere? I didn't bring the title of the group, but uh, she was telling me yesterday, um, they organize, I think they're, well, she's an academic uh, mm-hmm. medical researcher, and they organize um, buses that come from specific Western cities of Ukraine to the Netherlands directly. Mm-hmm. Apparently one of the difficulties they were having 
uh, was that some of the people, I don't know, you know, if this is an exaggeration of like three people that said this, were scared to come to the Netherlands or specifically Amsterdam because they thought that this place was somehow uh, prostitutes everywhere and evil. Um, so there had to be a little bit of explanation of, of what life is like here. Um, I think this may be one of those cases where like a story grows bigger than it really is to represent more people. But anyway, so people get on the bus and it's a direct shot. They take like 60, I think it fits like 60. It's a, it's a long distance bus and they get here and they, um, get a place to stay and they get status to, uh, to exist, which is awesome. Uh, but, and here we come to sort of part of the, what you and I have been not debating because I don't think we disagree, but we're trying to understand, uh, the other things, uh, when it comes to, for example, getting asylum, you know, right now, yeah. Ukrainians in Europe get like everything. Israel is offering, you know, full citizenship. If you show up from Ukraine, that's as far as I understand, somebody can comment if it's not quite how it works. Um, and that's crazy. I mean, I have a friend from a African country. I'll try not to be specific and I'll call them they. And they are here for months because they're persecuted for their um, sexual orientation in their home country. And they are waiting for an appointment to maybe get status mm. to stay. What country um, are they no. from? Can can you say that? Uh, Kenya. Kenya? Yeah. Uh-huh. I guess I can say that. <laughs> Uh, which is also kind of a gray area. Well, I don't think it's a gray area and I'd probably have to get off of this topic soon just to protect their, yeah. but, but, um, you know, it's a country that does have laws that can criminalize or can put you in, in jail basically for your sexual orientation. But I don't think it's as famous as some other countries that are more, more overt. So I don't know where the Dutch immigration yeah. services are going to fall. Apparently they have to do an eight hour interview to determine their sexual orientation, if it's real or not, which is. Will the Dutch have to do that? Uh, the, the Dutch authorities do that to oh, you as. I want that job. I want to be that interviewer. So uh, what's a lapse? Uh, do you know what a yeah. goatsy is? Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, what do you do if somebody Watch comes on your feet in the dra- in the bathhouse? How would you handle that? I would be very yeah. good at interrogating. Um, yeah, you know. he's crazy. He's crazy. And and they're a wonderful person mm-hmm. and, and uh, they're preparing mentally for answering these questions. Uh, I said the only good news is that Dutch authorities will probably take a coffee break every 45 <laughs> minutes. So some some hope there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was reading this article. So you... I, Okay, so I know that I had s- sent you some stuff that Aaron Monte wrote. I've been kind of obsessing on him. We talked about him before because you know he was somebody I always sort of thought was being very genuine and and sort of unbiased about his reporting, especially when it came to like RussiaGate and stuff. And lately, I found myself disenchanted with him. And so I I had sent you some article. I don't remember what it was at this point. Doesn't matter. This is like last week. And then you expressed sort of this idea like. Um, about how, well, you know, a lot of people are sort of analyzing these these political situations based on what they know from afar, but you are sort of expressing, you need to think about it from a Ukrainian standpoint, how maybe these people want to be, you know, in other words, respect the Ukrainians' agency. And I think a lot, at least in the dialogue I've been reading and watching about this war, um, it seems like, you know, people will talk about it being a proxy war. They'll talk about using Ukraine 
as pawns and all this, but at the same time, by doing that, they're not by not talking about this war from a Ukrainian's point of view or the possible point of view, then you're kind of perpetuating that idea of it being a proxy war. And then, so so I anyway, you had made comments to, that sort of got me thinking about this, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But you were basically just saying, yeah, but some Ukrainians do want, they want Western ideas. They don't, they're not just people that are saying, oh, well, you know, the, the Americans are pulling us this way. So it's like olive oil on Popeye. It's not like whoever grabs the hardest guess. It's not like Russia's pulling them this way and Americans are putting this way, but the Americans are winning. And that's why Russia wants to invade it because they're winning the war. It's, and when you talk that way, it's as if the Ukrainians themselves have no agency and right. no ability to think for themselves. And yeah. you're the one that got me thinking about it, so I, I think there must be some validity in my observation as to what you were expressing. But then I read an article in, in I think it was New Republic, and that that when and and it was a, a an Eastern European sort of I don't know what he is maybe a, a intellectual, and he was explaining this idea of he you coined this term West splaining, and and basically put that in a, to much better words than I I ever could where it's like okay but. You know, you have to look at this conflict from an Eastern Europeans or or an or Ukrainians point of view. And these people have been, you know, priests, you know, during the Soviet Union, they were often invaded by the Soviets when they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they lived in constant fear of the Soviets, of the Kremlin. And they don't necessarily want to be controlled by Russia because to them, certainly Putin reminds them and they see a lot of behaviors that are reminiscent of that overarching control. They don't want to, they want Western. It, you know, when I say they, maybe not, maybe just some, they they seem to want this the, the the Western freedom, and it's not just because of propaganda. And maybe they want NATO because they don't they want to be protected from Russia. So anyway, I've talked a lot, so that's where I wanted your feedback, I guess, and all sort of that. Sure, I I think it's also like freedom. <laughs> I mean, freedom is a to some extent subjective or very overused uh, uh, word. So mm. sometimes you have to be more specific, but. It's funny how often we describe what the West does. So I guess the West is everything Poland and, and west of there as um, they have their brand of freedom, which I think is referring to liberal democracy, which I think is referring to capitalism and this sort of representative democracy. And as so and then on the it's not really an opposite, but somehow becomes more and more now the opposite is what Russia does which is, and I, I enjoyed you writing on this subject, you know, it's not communism that ended long ago, but it is a lot of leftovers. By the way, just like the US, uh, especially the older generation in government is a sort of leftovers of the Cold War as well. But anyway, in, in Russia, there's a lot of leftovers from uh, the, the Soviet time that don't want the Soviet Union for its specific policies, but do want the Soviet Union for its strength. And then when it comes to society, are into capitalism, but it's their kind of capitalism, right? So you, you could easily say, well, it's not free. It's an oligarchy. Um, uh, it has, you know, it's, it's in, unequal, but then again, so it was the Western version. So how different are we? Um, so it's weird that we talk about what direction the Ukraine might have been going before this invasion and, and even after in the sense of like, ooh, they... Uh, yeah, they're being played. 
mm-hmm. uh, one side is saying, do like we do, and they are being, with the power of money or, or I don't know, movies, <laughs> they're being tempted over to Europe or, or North America even. And then the other argument is that actually they have more in common with Russia because they have all these ties culturally and certainly uh, in everyday life, they have so many ties, uh, uh, you know, families and, and uh, life. Um, uh, so th- that they're being manipulated. And look, I think we could all be manipulated as people and maybe mm-hmm. we are. But yeah, I, what you say, I hadn't even, you know, I never, I always forget to use good words like agency. Um, but indeed, like uh, there, there have been, uh, people who very much feel a fondness for, I'm going to say Europe, could be Nor- North America as well. Um, but that also has variations, right? They may feel a connection with uh, Germany or, or, or France. I-, I knew a lot of Ukrainians in uh, Portugal who moved there in the late 90s when the economy was terrible. Mm-hmm. And you know the, the story was, you know, we used to ask, why would you come to Portugal? Your salary here is so low. And they would say, yeah, but here you do get paid. And in Ukraine, there were many times where end of the month would come, we wouldn't get paid, six months would pass, we wouldn't get paid, and so on. Well, I know about that uh, from the Coco dorm. Yeah, I also experienced that here in Amsterdam, by the way, <laughs> years ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. Freelance, no? Was that the Coco dorm story? Were you freelance? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they have that power, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think I got a, a repo company and tried to, but then they took a piece of the whole... Anyway, I ended up just basically saying, well, you got to pay me up front. And that's how I solved that problem. Yeah. Ah, the Coco dorm. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. They probably changed the name. Who knows? So, yeah. So I'm just fascinated by this idea because a lot of it comes back to NATO and you hear so many because my I guess my sort of echo chamber lies pretty far to the left. And there's a lot of sort of self-flagellation that's basically saying, um, you know, you can't, you have no right to say anything unless you have a higher moral ground and America can claim no higher moral ground because than Russia, because of all these things we've done to other countries like Iraq. And my thing is like, okay, well maybe, but then how exactly like, what can we do without a higher moral ground as a country? What are we allowed to do? We can't even (laughs) condemn it or what? And then the other thing is, I'm an American citizen. I'm not the government. And I've complained about every one of those wars. Yeah, you did. And I've been against it. So do I get to complain as an American? You know what I mean? It's just such a cheap-ass talking point to tell me, yeah. like, oh, you can't talk because, um, yeah. yeah it's know. the idea that you can't do anything right ever because you're, you're historically yeah. your nationality or your country even uh, has gotten it wrong or, or done wrong. Yeah. I mean, certainly the, the invasion of 2003, which you and I certainly were against, um, made things more difficult. <laughs> I mean, destroyed lives, obviously, but, uh, you know, created a precedent for uh, future conflicts, including this one. Um, you, but, yeah. you know, every conflict creates a future <laughs> precedent for future conflicts. I got to tell you something that pissed me off. I was I was just talking with Lady Bunny about this, and she... Um, because she follows a lot of the same people where I do, but whereas she is still like, I think she's still on team Mate where I've defected like, okay, so let me, this is one thing that really bothered me the other day. So our, you know, the follow, you sure know the, the drama about RT. Um, yeah. There is, 
there's so much to say about RT, but a lot of people don't know that Associated Press is behind a lot of the production, which is really funny because it's an American company. AP is a big part of their production. They produce some of the shows and they certainly handle satellite light cups and a lot of their stuff. So not long in France and we go to the building. Yeah, the the um the the show that I worked at was in the AP office, and they also hosted China's national programming yeah. as well as Voice of America. It's just like do DIY propaganda, like you know, and so so um they anyway shortly after Max and Stacy dropped their show because the day that they as soon as the invasion stopped, Max and Stacy said we're canceling our show, we're getting off the air. They broke the contract. Their contract yeah. was really with AP, so AP had to break the contract with RT. And not long after that, RT AP decided we're going to break off all relations with AP too. Oh, I'm sorry, with RT also, and that's around the time. And then a few days later is when they canceled uh, RT America. I think a lot of people sort of assume that that was censorship, but I don't believe it was. I think it was just they just lost the ability to produce the show. And I think a big part of that was Associated Press. But that's that's not really the point. I'm sorry, I, I, I went to that. There's been drama there. I, yeah. I didn't know the extent of it. Yeah. But here's the thing. Okay, so Ashton Rattanzi is uh, a reporter... He does a show called Going Underground on RT, the Europe. He's out of out of England. I've followed him on Instagram for a number of years. I've always liked his reporting, and you know, I've always seen him as pretty fair. You know, of course he's biased, of course he's RT, but he's seen always seemed to sort of have a pro-communist bias, but out of his own ideology. I never really thought of it as, you know, because he was a political, you know, pawn of Putin or anything like that. Anyway. Well, interesting, by the way, also because uh-huh. communist party in russia is is not putin right it's a, it's a it's an outside okay. but anyway go on. um and I, there was something i wanted to mention about that an important point too but about the communism thing but okay so ashton Rutanzi posted a tweet and so he's another person that like with mate ever since the invasion i've completely changed perspective where I, like i basically think he has become a propagandist for putin very clearly in my opinion and so he posted something the other day, which was a terribly edited clip of Zelensky from Russian TV or Ukrainian TV, whatever his show was. And they edit, sloppily edited together some things where he was making fun of Hitler. And so it was like doing a Heil Hitler salute and pretending to be Hitler in kind of a Mel Brooks kind of way. And they were using, so Ashton Rutanzi posted this and also it's edited, it's out of context. And they're basically posting to see there are Nazis over there, right? And then Aaron Mate retweeted that, and it was just so fucking irresponsible. And I mean, just yeah. such blatant. I mean, that's completely indefensible, indefensible, and irresponsible. How can you? And then, anyway, my everything the way that I I see him is completely framed differently. I don't understand why he is so determined to to echo everything that uh, Putin would like to be echoed. It's <laughs> it's bizarre to me. Because I, yeah. you know, I don't know. Anyway, it's oh, the the communist thing I wanted to mention is so you said you know that that of course they're not communists, but you know I, I read something yesterday, which is that it, and maybe it's not valid, but I and I don't remember the source. It was a typical mainstream American source. They said that um, Putin is thinking of nationalizing the U.S. corporations. I know of this yeah. that are leaving uh, Russian Russia. Is that not? communist action though well we're we're in a a whole new world here okay. where your country is isolated uh oh. economically so what's coming in what's going out um okay. so okay. 
I imagined, you know, take a, there's a lot of French supermarkets, for example, uh, France pulls out. I don't, I don't know what they do to their shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, is there even stock in the country? But, um, as a government, you could say, this is ours now and we're gonna, I don't know, use the facilities, maybe sell the stock that's there. I mean, I'm just thinking here about food and, and, and sort of supermarket okay. world, which I know is a, a big business. So you're one. saying it doesn't so, necessarily mean he's going communist. It's not like Hugo Chavez. It's not like when Castro nationalized, you know, the Bacardi Rom Company or something like that, right? I, not outright because of the crisis going on mm -hmm. because, you know, and, and okay. don't take my wording to to uh to the letter but you know it's mm -hmm. it's a crisis as a result of what they've done they've brought a yeah. crisis themselves okay. uh, uh so now it's just a matter of strategy like what do you do like i i don't remember i think it was planet money which i listened to pretty regularly mm -hmm. and they were just talking about how okay credit cards don't work uh so no more visa no more mastercard mm -hmm. what are they going to do and then there's union pay and i've seen that logo for years i didn't know union pay is chinese and so what is it? they could increasingly feature union pay as a system that Russians could use if the Chinese banks and, and make their deals the mm. same way MasterCard and Visa have for years. There is a Russian system as well, but I think nobody uses it. Mm. Um, so this kind of stuff is just, you know, responding to the current economic crush that they're, they're in. So the nationalization, I saw those articles too, and I honestly didn't read further than two or three paragraphs because I thought, yeah, okay, I'm just imagining if you, yeah, if a country, um, a company pulls out of the country and you, what do you leave behind and what do you do with it as the people who are still there? Um, yeah, I have a, a I Russian... Guess, yeah, I guess I would have thought it would be temporary in some way. I mean... Absolutely, I, especially those fa uh, luxury fashion brands. I feel like mm. they're just like, time out, you know, they're counting like on their watch, like, all right, when is it ethically okay enough that we can get back to selling really fancy shit to uh, oligarchs because it's not like yeah. they ever had values i mean louis vuitton please they're waiting you know, for the you know kanye to say something mean to pete davidson or something yeah yeah so i also the only surprise i had in that decision was um that they're they're doing it because i thought maybe it's just temporary a lot of these companies are going to come back okay. then again uh, a lot of people, be they Russian or Ukrainian or whatever, thought that this conflict would go quickly, uh, and it's not. And uh, and even if it didn't go quickly, and I say go quickly, meaning the country would be taken over, mm -hmm. right? Russians would install their their friendly government. Um, we're still, ha you know, how long? So let's say within the next few weeks, Russia manages to make some kind of claim because they're never going to have the whole country, but whatever, they'll have the capital, right? I guess that's something. Um, uh, then what, right? They, they have, they install their temporary government. They have some military occupation for a little while. How long does the so-called West or the rest of the world, um, keep these embargoes? How long does it stay not okay to do business and engage with Putin and with Russia? Um, because, you know, there's money to be made and, uh, and people get bored of their what's offensive and what's unacceptable, even in death. And murder, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, well, we have COVID, too, that expressed that. Yeah. I was thinking the other day, Saudi Arabia has gotten a little bit of press regarding, you know, oh, we're going to need more oil from Saudi Arabia. I mean, they're running their own war uh, mm. right next door in Yemen, and they do bombing raids. It's like it's like Gulf War uh, afterwards when we just had this no-fly zone and we dropped bombs every now and then or, or destroyed something and said we had to. I mean, that's what they're doing yeah. and nobody nobody talks about it 
and yeah. um, somehow it's not morally, you know, I, I listened to, um, well, one of the podcasts I listened to is on sports. It's by this old kicker. He's very funny, Pat McAfee. And he had the, the head of the WWE on uh, Vince McMahon. And I remember this guy mm. from my childhood, you know, like he was the announcer. I never realized he owned the whole thing. Um, and he was talking about all the shows they've been doing in Saudi and this is a conservative. His wife has run for governor in Connecticut a bunch of times. I think it's his wife still. Who knows? Um, and, you know, he's like, oh, Saudi is just different from us. That's all. It's just a different culture. But they love wrestling and they love the West. And, you know, he's selling this yeah. idea that this is a regime that you, it's good to engage with. And, and I get it. Like, it is good to talk to people. So I don't think he's completely off the mark, but it is funny when we start to say this regime is okay and what they do to their people, that's their culture. And then, you know, other regimes we say are okay until they take over a country next door, then they're not okay. You know, I read something so strange yesterday and it was one of these Instagram posts. I wish I could keep track of this shit and at least note it. No, I should. But so Gigi Hadid, who is like some supermodel or something. And she said, so there was a there was a headline that said Gigi Hadid donates a million dollars to help Ukrainian refugees, which is true. And I'm sorry if I get the number wrong; it might have been half a million. What they took out of it was, if you look at her original post where she announced it, she said that she's giving a million dollars, or maybe it was a half a million dollars, to Ukraine, and she's also giving the same amount of money to Palestinians because they're dealing with the same shit. But huh. the newspapers took out the whole Palestinian part and just kept it as if that's she's just doing it for Ukraine. Yeah. Ireland kind of shit is maddening and it doesn't help. It doesn't help anyone. <laughs> it doesn't help. No. You know, and I, I don't know. I don't know. So, what I've been thinking about a lot, Madge, and it's, mm -hmm. it's not the same, but it's related in terms of the conflict. Um, you know, we, um, before this happened, right before the invasion of Ukraine, uh, I, I remember your voice always, you know, being very skeptical, of course, about, about war and the sort of, theater of pretending whether it was the u.s saying you know ah they're coming or russia amassing troops on the border you know yeah. um we talked about that last show um but what, what i notice now is like we're in this mode and um i mentioned the the sending of weapons last time and and all these economic sanctions and you know the strongest sanctions ever and they wow. are really hurting people like i know people personally that are hurting in russia um, who have no one in the military, but uh, there they are, right? That's their country. Um, and what's weird is, like, around here, like, I always read these articles where Zelensky, the, the, of course, president of Ukraine, will say, we need more. We need, for example, the no-fly zone idea, mm -hmm. and it, which is basically the idea that in some way, actual military people, although you could just fly a drone, but whatever, let's assume drones are not good mm -hmm. enough for this job, um, <laughs> would actually go into Ukraine and provide some kind of cover? Would they engage with the Russian uh, troops? They might. Um, and so the word around here is, I'm in the Netherlands, of course, for those who don't know, um, couldn't do that. We cannot do that because that would bring us into a bigger conflict because yeah. Russia is a nuclear power and uh, they're, cr they're crazy. And so if we do that, they could respond. And I guess the response we assume is either nuclear weapons to one of our cities or all of our whatever to a bunch of our cities or, or not, but just weapons and, and, and violence. 
but I think it's so odd that we believe, like we've set this criteria in our minds mm. because of course, like he sets his own criteria. He says one thing, he does another. Putin. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry. So, you know, you could tomorrow as Putin, you could wake up tomorrow and say, oh, Estonia sent weapons because they did. Estonia sent weapons to uh, to Ukraine. Estonia is at war with us and move your troops on over. Yeah. Uh, we assume that there are these set rules that as long as we follow them, we can, we can walk the line, we can send weapons, we can uh, stop all the money flow. Uh, but the minute you send a human, that's when we're going to get hurt. And I, it just occurs to me that the city I live in can be bombed, be it with a nuclear weapon or not, by that government tomorrow if they decide we are enemies. Of course, there's lots of cities in Europe, so you know, will they get to us right away? I don't know. But I don't have any illusions that we're safe because we don't send troops to Ukraine. I think it's weird how we really believe, maybe based on history, because you had diplomatic agreements and some of them have held. Um, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you know, there were plenty of Republicans and non-Republicans who believed that everybody being armed to the teeth is what kept us safe because the threat that if you do something right. to me, I'll do something back is the ultimate safety. Mutual and assured destruction. Yeah, that's all in your head. Like, we could already have passed that line, but as long as we kept telling ourselves, no, no, it's okay, we didn't do that one thing, that big thing, right? Um, so I just think it's weird. I, I'm not proposing necessarily mm. that uh, NATO or US or Europe send planes to, to defend uh, uh, people that are getting bombed, but I would argue that I don't think doing that is such a crazy step. Matter of fact, I could argue that it's trying to protect people. See, I, I see it both. I see it both ways. And this is very uh, difficult for me to think about because I don't have any I can't come to a conclusion because, yeah, yeah I like Sonny Hostin, who's one of the hosts of The View. She's absolutely and she's more the on the progressive side of their little spectrum in the middle there that they sit on on that show in order to maintain their ratings but she said absolutely we need a new fly zone period with absolute certainty now i see both sides because because yes it's an assumption i always say question your assumptions that that this is what will start world war three but who wants to take that chance you know Oops. Oh, wow, that was me. I said, you know, does Biden really want to say, yeah, okay, well, let's put a no-fly zone over and then Putin right. nukes us. I mean, it doesn't matter because we're yeah, all dead yeah. by then. Right. So, so, but at well, the same time... Other chances, which is funny. What's that? Like, those chances are okay, they, but they do take these other chances. Right. Well, and then... The absolutely. And see, that's the other thing. It's like, okay, first of all, he's Putin has already escalated to nuclear, whether we're in denial of it or not. I'm not sure. But with what he did to that first power plant in the South, yeah. Africa, the, the largest one in Europe or something, they yeah. they bombed it. Whether it was an accident or not, doesn't matter. He, he bombed a fucking nuclear power plant. And that was that was taking the conflict nuclear. What he's doing now, right now, they have the IEA, IAEA has no communication with Chernobyl. And they've had the same staff there for like two weeks, and it's fucking dangerous as hell, right? Real, And it's nuclear. They are not taking care of the fucking nukes. That is a huge nuclear escalation. It's real. So it's already been escalated to nuclear. I don't know how long the denial is going to take in. It's not what we're 
it's not traditional nuclear that we saw it as in the 50s right. and 60s where it's everything or nothing. It's like now we have different kind of nukes. We have smaller nukes. We don't have new to, to go nuclear doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world anymore, although it might. Right. It just could mean a yeah. lot of fuckage. So but but then the other thing is, too, that I see is. You know, I get the idea of like being safe and trying to have diplomacy, maybe make some concessions to Russia, even though we're appeasing this asshole. But then again, if you're appeasing him, then it starts to look a lot like Hitler and World War II, because like, you know, we had the we had images. We knew where the railroads were that took people to the gas chambers. We could have bombed them. We didn't, you know, because we didn't want to escalate. And I just see similarities here. We don't want to escalate. But then. What's happening? They're already digging mass graves in what's that city in the south? I forget. In, uh, in Ukraine, yeah, they're mass graves for for citizens. I mean, this is it right now. That when you see these human massive humanitarian tragedies happening and genocide, maybe it's what do you do? You know, this is this is where we're at. We're at that place. We could be at a very similar place to where we were before, yeah. you know, Hitler escalated. And yeah. it just seems, yeah. I hate to make the Hitler comparison. Not, sure, but yeah. What what would modern, the modern version of something like that look like, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to have the uniforms. It's not going to have the, the same sounds and feels, right. but, but the, the, what you're describing, the, the moments of you could have done something and you didn't, but I honestly yeah. feel, yeah. although I know people here are concerned that I see Ukrainian flags on the street outside mm-hmm. of houses, uh, great that it's such a beautiful flag. Um, it is nice pretty. Um, but um, I I think that there's a sort of a degree of mm. acceptance around here that, well, if they don't go further than Ukraine, it's bad. But it's we we're okay with that. Right. Like we don't like it. We don't like it. But that's we're setting the you know that's where the line is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll find places for everybody. And we'll we'll you know, do things, nonviolent things, which is important. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's weird. Because In some I ways, I think that, I just expressed that attitude, to be yeah. honest. Well, maybe, yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and I should say that, um, you know, I, I don't think that no fly zones, and, and there is a difference. I understand, like I started off by saying, ah, you send weapons, ah, you stop the money, why don't you do a no fly zone? I'm not saying they're all the same moves, but I do think it's funny that the two first ones are acceptable, at least to us, because Putin doesn't like any of them, yeah. uh, as these are not escalation moves to the degree of we're in danger. They're just up to the edge. And it's like, well, what if the edge moves? And all it takes is one side to decide. You know, See, to I, I, that's why I think, like you say, they're in people's minds, which are true, but they are in people's minds, but all rules are in people's mind. If it's a, if it's a real rule, then isn't it valid? You know what I mean? Like maybe the, is that what get, because by establishing a no fly zone and shooting down a Russian, whatever those things are, yeah. are yeah. then are aren't then we licensing Putin to do something much bigger? Aren't we um, by, the, by those rules? Yeah, in the sense of that before that, yes. I, I mean, I have to say yes because mm-hmm. before that, you haven't done anything where an actual soldier yeah. from say Germany uh, shoots a oh maybe bad example for the World yeah. War Two thing, but. You know what I mean? Modern Germany uh, shoots a Russian plane down. There's no equivalent move that has happened before that. You know, there's no. Instead, what you have now is weapons that come from Estonia or or Britain yeah. in the hands of someone on the ground in Ukraine that just got them, right. and that shoots them at 
uh, at a Russian uh, soldier, if that Russian soldier is hit or not, we consider that Ukrainians fun. trying to recall the, the <laughs> I, uh, Russian military. What did you say? Fun? Fine. <laughs> no, fine. Oh, fine. Um, so, so, I mean, I guess I should make sure that I do acknowledge the difference, but I do feel like we're living in a fantasy land to some extent if we believe that these things are guaranteed. You know, it's like it's like the believing rules. that you your, your door. And you you were joking about being robbed uh, if you mm. go if you tell where you are. You know, you lock your door when you leave. But mm. and this, I'm, I'm talking like an old sociology teacher because I was one for a lot of years. And um, you know, you lock your door when you leave. Is the reason that you don't get robbed because your door is so good, or does it help that most people don't want to rob you? You know, because if everybody just decided that they're going to get, or anyone decided they're really going to try to get at your 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 house, many people could if they really put their minds to sure. it. And so, if if you believe that you're safe as a citizen of uh, France or, or or whatever in this current conflict, you, you are to the extent that in this case Vladimir Putin and his military don't decide that the cutting off of French MasterCard or whatever uh, was offensive and, and an act of war. I mean, okay, shooting their planes will be maybe more quickly interpreted as such, but any of these other things could also be interpreted uh, as such. So I, I don't know. I, I find the sanction stuff is kind of weird to me because I feel like it's almost like the sanctions work against the people, not so much against Putin, whereas the war... The violence seems to be go head much more towards the ruler, but what do I know? But the thing yeah. is about this no-fly zone thing, isn't it an escalation to establish a fly? I mean, would you agree that it's an escalation to set up a, a no-fly zone? Um, no? it, it, it would be. It would be. I mean, I can't pretend so, like it. it okay, so be. assuming that it's an escalation, what could we do? And I'm just pretending, not that we have any influence. We obviously don't, or we'd probably, you know, be really, you know... CNN headquarters or something, but something amazing or Michael Barbaro's, you know, secretary, I don't know. But if we, assuming just, just, just play that we, what we say matters, like what could we do to not escalate and make it go away? I don't know. There's gotta be other things we could do, you know, like I how, wish we could more know. actively sabotage the vehicles and the technology of war. Yeah. The, the ability to launch missiles from far away, you know, because there's all this talk about soldiers being not prepared, mm. maybe, because this is, goes back to our thing of maybe we also just want to hear that, right? That Russian soldiers, their hearts not in it. Well, that sounds good. Mm. Um, so let's say Russian soldiers' hearts aren't in it. We still have all these remote weapons that mm. Russia can use and is using. And I wish, uh, it's all just magical thinking, that mm. we could uh, uh, sabotage these weapons quietly don't have to take any credit nobody says who did what suddenly you know these things don't work uh, uh however whatever method of communication they use doesn't work you know i i, I know it's very movie like thinking but i i wish that we could mess with their that's hacking and if my spouse doesn't turn the timer off on the fucking chicken i'm gonna lose my mind i think she chicken. is chicken. can you hold on a second go get the chicken <laughs> This is very shocking because Madge regularly visits chickens in the in the in the coop by work or by her former beige, and yet at home is putting a chicken in some kind of device with a timer, which is suspicious. 
<sighs> Fuck another edit point. See, this is the problem when you live in a one-bedroom apartment. Oh, I with radiators I, and yeah. Anything know. happens in the next room, this whole recording gets. Well, I haven't heard anything from your end. Um, what were we talking about? Um, uh, we're talking about the idea, the magical thinking of being able to sabotage technology. Yeah, I think. I mean, you're talking about hacking. It's reasonable, yeah. but if it were possible, I'm sure they would have done it by now. They would have done it already. Yeah, or, or you know, is it possible to physically <laughs> get in there with no one knowing? I don't know. You know, I was talking uh, about diplomacy, though. Yeah, isn't there something? Oh. I mean, when you're dealing with a crazy person, because that's the problem, who did snap. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. is there I'm even a possibility for? There's got to be something. I mean, maybe a good sort of. Um, what do you call it? What did Einstein do when he called those things that he would put in his uh, a mind puzzle, whatever? You, uh, thought experiment. Wordle. A thought experiment. Wordle. Yeah. So, like, could we do a thought experiment where, like, what could we have done to stop Hitler Aha. With, without military? You know what I mean? Like, is there anything that could have been done in retrospect with all the information we have now? Mm-hmm. Is, well, in, is there? in Germany's case, it, w- it would have been, I don't know how you do it, but you, you stop the, um, the feeling in the country of, well, first of all, the terrible economic situation and the feeling in the country that, you know, they had lost their pride and their, and their sort of national mm-hmm. identity and shamed. I yeah. mean, if you can, you know, avoid that psychosis in a way, then, then such a person who comes forward wouldn't be as interesting. But so the political environment, but that's, I think it's too late, late for that. It's too late yeah. for that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I don't think there's anything strong enough in in Russia that I've ever heard of that can stop this. Um, you know, I'm curious what they talk about at these negotiations, like in Turkey mm. or wherever they've been going, because um, you know, you know, Russia wants them to promise not to join NATO. Mm. God damn NATO! <laughs> as, as if NATO is really going to be the answer to everything, right. but. Um, and they're not going to do that anymore, right? And, and that's the other weird part. Going back to Ukrainians' agency, there mm-hmm. were, there have been up until last week, probably plenty of people in Ukraine that liked Russia or thought were family and believed that. Who now, mm-hmm. of course, will never think that for several generations, unless they're just so defeated. They're like, well, what can we do? Mm-hmm. But you know, they've driven people further away, who I think were quite close to the the national identity of Russians. Um, so that's kind of interesting because now they're going to run further west or at least further anything but Russia. Um, so he's in that sense changed Ukrainian identity forever. And even though, you know, sometimes we debate, is he a master strategist or is he just snapping? Um, I, I don't know that he realized that this is going to happen. I could also ultimately be wrong. Uh, it's not as widespread as I think, but you know, I, I read the stories, I watch the video, and I see, even in the occupied places, um, people being angry and, and fairly vocal, too. You know, what are you doing here? Why? What is this? You know, like... But do you think I mean, there's anything that we we or they could offer Putin that would make him stop? Like, say, okay, here's a piece of paper we promised never to put NATO shit in Ukraine. Is there anything that could would yeah, reasonably probably. stop him so what would it be it preserves i don't know it would have to preserve his ego so you, mm-hmm. you, we mentioned concessions it would even if it wasn't we promise not to join nato it would have to be as close as possible to sounding like we probably won't join nato it has to feed the ego of the leader 
um, so that he can continue to look strong and withdraw and surely declare victory at home for his operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- th- there's no other way. I mean, there's no other way. I don't know. But this man is not going to accept defeat uh, by his definition. So there has to be some way that he can save face at home. At least it's not even with his own people, really. It's it's with his himself, his mirrors and his uh, yeah. generals. Um, and that, of course, ultimately we can save as many Ukrainians still left to save as possible. Um, how do you do that, though, when, when this man... He wants a lot, and I think that he knows he can get a lot. And that's the other thing, going back to this, you know, uh, no-fly zone. I think that Putin pretty much knows that there's the no-fly zone isn't going to happen. You know, he's, I, I don't know if he's used the specific words about the West being weak, but I've heard that for years in Russia, by regular Russians, by the way, that, that we're all culturally lost. I, I think I told you about that last yeah, show, where yeah. I would get cornered by these men, especially, who would be like, what is going on in Europe? Like your values and, and your music and your culture. And and I, I, I think that Putin has some of that in him. And that is the belief that we're kind of bumbling. Now, he's not always right. Uh, sometimes, you know, Europe does get together, has gotten together on some things. I think he might have assumed we'd never be united on anything. But I, I think he knows that there is no no-fly zone coming um, because we wouldn't do that. That's too dangerous. And we don't, bet on people's lives the way he would mm-hmm. uh, and so that's a tremendous what is it negotiating strength or, or negotiating uh, what do you call that power um because he can ask for more than you know what we might consider fair um and you have to give it to him yeah. I, what is that gonna yeah. be? I, I don't know because so, he would want no. Zelensky out of power Zelensky's not going to agree to that um so where are we you know like i don't know but I think the other side of it is that he can't kill Zelensky. He just can't. I still think that. I, I he yeah, can. but he can take him prisoner. Yeah, yeah. He can take him prisoner, and, and I mean, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. It's a powerful mm-hmm. person who's sort of beloved around the world, and and now this other element of him being beloved in Russia um, is interesting, or loved anyway, at some time. You know, uh, something else that intrigues me is sort of. Uh, the connection between U.S. crazy and Russia crazy. Like, so I, I, I've i always been watching, you know, a, a good amount of RT to see what's been going on. And they've, they, they do their fair share of really good investigative reporting, particularly when it comes to other countries that have nothing to do with Russia or America. They never report on Russia. But they, but so they, um, they, they, did a lot of reporting like leading up to the war. I wouldn't say leading up that it's direct related to it, but in the months up to the war, it was more and more of this culture war shit getting to the point. Where I was like, what's going on? Like they were focused so much on these like gender issues and just like do so much reporting on wokeness. Right. And have long discussions about wokeness and how ridiculous it is. And then, you know, and, and, you know, and gender stuff and LGBT stuff and forget about the convoys. They went crazy with the convoys. But then at the same time, we're having this weird ass legislation like this. Don't say gay stuff in Florida where it's like, it's really the same mentality. And I want to understand what's going on. Why is there's this parallel anti-wokeness going on in Florida and in Texas and in Moscow? I, I think I want to know, and I'm not saying there's a conspiracy, but I don't get it. 
I don't get it, and it's weird, and it's too similar. And I think maybe you know, it's a maybe it was a bad idea to ban RT because I think people would learn a lot if they could see what the propaganda is that they're spewing. Yeah, and, you know, and they do. Scotty Nell Hughes was one of Trump's uh, spokespeople, and she has a show on RT, or she used to until recently. I guess the whole network went kablooey. But what the fuck is going on? You know, you have Trump surrogates on, you know, on RT leading up to pretty much leading up to the war. And they're spewing the same sort of divisiveness to sort of make America split with the wokeness thing. And then in Russia, you have, you know, you're basically planting seeds to make us horrible in the same way that Russia is towards LGBTs. And uh, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it's I want to understand what's happening. There's a message that resonates in both places. The first one yeah. that comes to mind is someone or they, whoever they are, are trying to change us. Yeah. Russia has this. Um, it's it's a long in the national psyche. You have to be strong because there are people coming. They're out there, different countries, and historically they try to take from us. We have to fight them. Uh, we are unique. That's the exceptionalism, right? That's yeah. very much like us. We are unique people. Uh, no one has gone through what we've gone through. Um, and we have to be vigilant because if we are not, they will come and they will take or change us. And I think that the fear in Russia has been that the world or the West, whatever, is changing. And they're bringing in all these cultural values that, you know, of course, Russia claims didn't exist before. Of course, they did. Um, and it's a threat to our way of life. It's not our way of life. And I think that if you take these kind of messages and you go looking in Texas mm -hmm. and, you know, parts, you'll hear a lot of the same things. P the message of don't change us just seems to resonate. I don't know if it's a specific age. Is it tied to uh, white supremacy? Because I've read a lot of people that seem to think it is. And then that's why there's a connection between far left being kind of cuckoo in this way, as far as like Russia, you know, sort of sympathizing to Putin and the far right, that they have the, those sort of white fragility, white supremacy, you know, the fear of losing white supremacy as the common thread. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think about that initially. Like, I don't think about that as the first biggest, most mass appealing reason. I'm sure it exists. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's more of a, looking back on your life and, and it's also kind of that thing of people who really like rich and richness, even though they've never been rich. Right. Um, it's people romanticizing who they were either as families, as people, maybe as a country, because they always romanticize what the U S was, you know, the, this sort of movement of don't, don't tell me how to think. Don't teach my kids. Don't mention gay in school or whatever. I mean, it's it's this idea that there was a time where things were good, but then factors, people, ideas came in and messed up our good time, and right. we're going to get worse if we don't stop it. So I don't I don't bring white supremacy right away into the main reason because I don't mm -hmm. think I think white supremacy exists, but I'm like I'm assuming it's not as attractive to the regular folks but maybe yeah. i'm i'm wrong you know but uh, I, I kind of agree i'm just putting it out there but you know there's yeah. it's interesting too because i mean the thing is what these these points of view that we're that we're expressing are so that that the people you know who buy into this sort of 
anti-wokeness are falling for they're 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 false and it's propaganda right there somebody's manipulating them because it's such so such obviously bullshit that like you're worried about russian identity like i've been reading this book about dostoevsky and and what he went through in his life russian identity the people that abused russians were fucking were the kings the russians the czars those people were fucking slaves until very recently they were slaves in the, I mean, literal slaves. They actually were beat by their owners. And they, if yeah. they, they would get, you would get in, a, a feudal lord would get into his carriage and punch his driver in the throat. And then the driver would punch his horse in the, you know, yeah. would bring, these people were slaves. And they, you know, in, in this book, they sort of explain that, like, part of the reason that they, the feudal system fell is because they didn't have the excuse of being able to say, well, the black the black people in America were slaves because they were an inferior race. Here you're doing it, and, and everybody's the same race. You know, so, like, who, who are you? What, first of all, what is the Russia that you're defending? A bunch yeah. of fucking, you know... Uh, feudals yeah. that beat their their people. I mean, what what is this identity that you're so afraid of losing? It's it's, it's a it's a figment of people's imaginations, mm -hmm. but it's a powerful figment. Um, yeah, but it's, and but then, it's and propaganda. It's There's got to be a contra propaganda, right? Um, education, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's supposed to be supposed to be, but yeah. it doesn't work. I mean, you know, because an education system is susceptible to, first of all, what increasingly what parents want, which is a little scary. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but also, you know, to the valleys of a country. I mean, I went to a Catholic school in a Polish Catholic school in Newark, mm -hmm. and we had to read this ridiculous Bible study books for hours every day. Yeah, we did science and math and some state required uh, uh, tests, but we were also learning bullshit. You know, but it always told us what kind of bullshit. Country god you know uh, uh how to be a good american how to be a good catholic mm -hmm. um you know and, and i think these kind of things i'm not saying that if you went to public school you're, you're much better off but at least you didn't spend so much time looking at cartoon jesus as i did um no. but i think you know, our education system has kind of failed us and i'm sure the russian education system has also failed a lot of people in the sense of arming you in the nonviolent sense to be prepared to for this world and to really see through uh, uh whether it's so, your national television i'm wondering like so, okay so let me tell you a story so when i was in live journal 100 years ago 20 years ago and plus um which is coincidentally bought by russia and now they're yeah, whatever i um i asked this girl sika who is russian and and she was a friend of mine and I said, you know, and this is probably 2000, I said, because I, I never really understood, I've always been obsessed with the idea of how the, the Iron Curtain fell, how the Berlin Wall fell, because it seemed so sudden. And I lived through it. And I was just like, what the fuck? How did this just go away? Like, we're watching news and everything is like, oh, the Soviets are so dangerous. And then all, one day they're just fucking gone. I said, what was it? She said, it was Ronald Reagan on the radio saying freedom is better. And this is what we have to offer you. And you're losing and she just said it was wrong who I hate Ronald Reagan. I'm not, you know, I'm just telling you what she said, but that he used his propaganda, his voice of America. They beamed all this shit into Russia and, and they just gave this idea of what life could be. And that, you know, he sort of, he sort of checkmated their propaganda. It's not the right word, but you know, like he said, you know, I'm going to, you know, like here I go. And he just, he, he, these symbols, he beat their propaganda with his fucking Ronald Reagan smooth talking bullshit. So why can't we do that? I think that's one thing. There's Biden couldn't 
be worse at what Ronald Reagan was good at. You know, he's just like he just looks like this terrible guy with a bad haircut and dark eyes. Like, what the fuck? Change your diaper, you know? <laughs> like, God, where's our spokesman? Where's our smooth talking spokesman who can? I fucking hated Reagan. He was off the. I think he was the worst president. I've said this worse than Trump. But geez, you know, I, there's got to be some way. I mean, it sounds like from what we're discussing that the only way to defeat this is through propaganda. Maybe. I mean, the hard part is know. back then, propaganda from the West uh, was sort of un. There was no, there was no internet, but there were. You would show, you know, whatever mm. it was, blue jeans and and McDonald's, and and it, it looked good. Mm. But it's it's. We're now living in this time where it is known that things can look good, but doesn't mean they are good. It is known that, you know, the U.S., for example, just as an example of capitalism, is super unhappy and mass shooting. And they can take any list of bad things that come with this system of ours. So I think the truth is out on at least our economic system and maybe maybe to some extent our our democracies as well, which are not in great shape. Um, and, And yet uh possibly preferable to definitely preferable to what's going on in russia now um but But in some way it seems like we're if the best they can do if the if like russian media is focusing their energy on what a terrible society is by focusing on how how well we treat lgbt people and trans people i mean that's they're digging pretty hard if that's the best they can do. I mean, I, and they do focus on other stuff. Like RT has done a lot of exposés on how shitty our healthcare system is, which is a lot more meaningful, but you know, I don't know. Maybe they're grasping at straws. Maybe. I don't What is it like? What is the economy like in Russia? Do you know? I mean, I know you've been there. I've never been there. I don't, what, what is it like compared to like America? What is life like there? Do you know? So you have like cities that are, um, feel a little rusty around the edges mm-hmm. it reminded me of new jersey a lot by the way this was in 2012 mm-hmm. when was the last time i was there probably 2016 um so I, I went maybe four or five times in my life and um i got to know siberia i got to know moscow on a few visits and then i went to one or two cities well i took the trans-siberian so i saw a few mm-hmm. cities uh eastwards and i went south to rostov which is pretty close to uh, crimea um, and what I noticed was, uh, first of all, like a lot of things felt like what I remember the eighties to be in New Jersey, um, in the sense of like, it wasn't, I mean, phones obviously are everywhere and, and I'm sure computers in the workplace, but, but in regular daily life, technology is not as sort of, was not as sort of dominant and, and everywhere things were not perfect, uh, as like here, for example, mm-hmm. in the Netherlands where everything is very quaffed and, and every corner gets cleaned 20 times. Um, so, you know, economically, the people I knew or I know worked in services. You know, they they were bakers. They worked in restaurants. Many of them wanted to start their own. They're really into that idea. They're very inspired mm-hmm. by what they had seen because they had traveled outside of Russia. A lot of Russians had have a huge thing for find the sun wherever it is. Go somewhere sunny now. Um, Crimea was a place where a lot of people would go. And at that time it was Ukraine and that was normal. Uh, but they'd also go to Cyprus and they'd go to Southern Spain. And so people had and have a great knowledge of the world outside. I'm, I know the average Russian probably doesn't get out of the country. I shouldn't forget that. But my friends, of course, were international. They're athletes. We all played. But what about like life in general? Like, do they have enough food? Is food affordable? Do they have health care? <laughs> 
You know, do they have adequate transportation? Like, life in general, how does it compare? It's just more rough and tumble, but Mm. you have a lot of the things that we have. So healthcare, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me see. Can I talk about my my friend? Um, So I just had a baby and my Mm. my ex, actually, uh, who is Russian and is back in Russia, also had a baby. So we compare notes a lot. Um, I'm in the Netherlands. I, I felt like I wasn't paying anything, but actually there is some deductibles and stuff. Anyway. She had to um, go to a hospital and arrange with who is going to be her doctor. That's kind of normal. But she had to pay like money in an envelope, kind of reserve this doctor as the person who's going to help her when the baby comes. And she also had to like money in an envelope for the nurses. That a bribe? On her case. Um, I don't know if they even considered a bribe or as much as a payment, a direct payment. Okay. Uh, even though these are state employees... Um, there's this, you know, shortfall in what they're getting paid and what they're willing to do. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of really weird um, examples where just, yeah, life doesn't quite cover things the way they should. Or like your retirement, you know, very few old people can actually survive on their retirement in Russia. So they need to find some other, you know, sell something, keep working, mm-hmm. whatever. You ask your family for money. That's probably more common. You know, children have to really provide for their parents. Um Real estate is incredibly expensive, especially in Moscow. So um, kids can't afford it, which is not that different from us nowadays. So your family really has to buy that apartment and it's usually tiny. Uh, But hey, you know, it's your apartment. It's worth a lot of money. Um, Things were bought in dollars before this big crisis. It was very common uh, because the dollar was a a more reliable currency, euros as well. Um, So it's it's a weird world where some things feel really normal when you walk around and and go places, go to great restaurants and stuff. But when you start hearing the details of what how people pay for things or what services they get, um, then you start to see the burden financially and just the shortfall in what services they actually get uh, from the government. Um, You know, a lot of privatization of stuff. You just you have to find some way to afford health care. School, I don't know as much about. I haven't had a lot of friends with uh, school-age kids, honestly, or we never got into it. In Siberia, what I saw was a lot of unemployment for men, but a whole lot of women doing all the jobs. Police, bus drivers, you know, these are the people I usually saw. Um, And I saw just a lot of older men sitting around. Why were you in Siberia? Was that for a project? I was invited to teach uh, new media or Mm. podcast journalism back then. Um, at the Tomsk State University in Siberia. Um, I guess I guess the reason I'm asking about what it's like there is because I'm trying to figure out like why a guy like Putin gets so much power and stays in power, and I'm just trying to figure out if it's tied somehow to like the economy there, the status. Like, are they in trouble? I mean, like, is Russia comparable to say living in Portugal or I don't know Greece? I mean, in terms of quality of life, yeah, just overall. I mean, what would you compare it to? Georgia. I think for the average person, it's it's much lower. Uh, I think you could compare it more like to Armenia. Or, okay, but but that that differs very widely because you could live in Moscow and live like somebody in in Dubai. You know, yeah. you, you, very fancy life. Moscow is full of wealth, and it's mm-hmm. I'm sure it's not the only city. Um, or like there's funny things like even middle class Russians often have the house outside of uh, of the city. So I had many friends with an apartment right. in Moscow, and they have their dacha outside and i would go to these dachas some of them were beautiful and it was like what do you do again you work for a multinational you know like that was probably family land right from generations i'm guessing yeah or family gave them yeah. the money to pay 
Yeah, that was key. And that, in that sense, we don't, we're not so different, you know, because parents uh, managed any way to scrape and save. And then that's how kids are able to afford a lot of these things. Mm. Um, so, okay. So what's, I, what, if you're Joe, Joe Biden in the White House, oh. what do you do? You keep looking at your watch going, how much longer do I have to do this job? <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, I guess that they're really busy trying to find more economic things that they can do. And of course, the latest was the cutting off of gas. But how else can you make life really annoying financially for the Russian government? But I, I, when I look at the list of what's happened, uh, I feel like they're they're done. They don't have any more things they're going to do. I haven't heard any. And after that, I think if you're Joe Biden, you just make a bunch of speeches. Um, and that's what they're going to be doing. I mean, I don't speeches think- Speeches for, for whose benefit? Condemning, yeah, to sound supportive, but not, there's not much more they can do, uh, at mm-hmm. least based on what we just described. Like, Do you think you the know, Ukrainians have a chance? I suppose yes, because the, Putin is unpredictable and he he may have overplayed his hand. And, and of course, he has the power just to go declare victory, go home, and you can make up some... What what was the victory? Uh, we really destroyed their capacity. You know, he can make a story if he mm. wanted to today. He could go home and make a story and sell it. So that's the weirdest thing. Like, he does not have to continue this. He could stop it. Yeah. No matter what he does to stop it, he's going to go home and tell a victorious story. Fine. Um, the problem is that, you know, this man doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't turn around. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I changed my mind. You know, he, he seems to. Go forward, and and if Grozny and and Chechnya are, are any indicator, yeah, I mean he flattens places, he flattens places to the ground, and he doesn't care. People, history flattened, and 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 he's gotten away with it. You know, no one ever talks about Chechnya, and what happened there was the, I mean, a crime on what a mass scale. Well, he had two wars, uh, where Russia was trying to keep a country under its, uh, uh within its, uh federation that wanted out and the first war they were humiliated the russians were that was still in yeltsin time um and they were humiliated because you know they go in i guess with this carryover pride of soviet union and now russia and the military and we're big and we're russia and you know you shouldn't be rebelling and wanting to be your own country and 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 the the religious factor is also there somewhere but i don't know as much about it They're, Mm -hmm. they're muslim um and here come I'm not going to call them ragtag because they were they were fierce. Uh, but here come a smaller amount of people who who humiliate the Russian military uh, and send them back to Moscow. You know, tail between their legs. Then Putin comes to power, and he remembers what happened. He was somewhere else in government, not not in leadership, and he uh, finds what we now call false flag operations, which was the bombing of a an apartment building in Moscow. I remember when that happened and I thought bullshit right away because mm. <laughs> I don't know, an hour or two after the bombing, they're like, it was Chechen rebels. They came to Moscow and they bombed a residential apartment building. Uh, we're sending the military. And it was really Russia. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And I think some investigation did turn up that it was FSB. And, Wait, and, so you're saying Putin discovered this. So he decided to do the same thing. I don't understand. I missed something. He never liked how uh, the first Chechen war ended with, mm. with sort of the, the Russian army retreating. Oh. Uh, 
So he came back and forced a bit like Gulf War One, Gulf War Two, except mm-hmm. okay, Gulf War One, the, the U.S. didn't retreat; it just didn't finish the job for you know, for, and so his son had to do it for daddy. But you know, Putin returns to Chechnya, but he like does overwhelming force with the kind of spirit that I think we're seeing in Ukraine as well, mm-hmm. which is just he does not stop. And now this time, the Chechen rebels cannot hold them off and and the whole country is well at least the city of grozny is flattened installs a crony to be the president who's still the crony who sent troops now to ukraine um and that's end of story you know people do not rebel as far as i know there they continue to walk the line of being part of the russian federation and you can't speak up against um that so you know i look to chechnya and i think okay it's not the same but i think his logic is the same it doesn't so, mean have the same result. But. Last question, because I need to go to eat or I'll get in trouble. But um, I don't want to get in trouble. Um, so my geography sucks. USSR before eighty uh, nine. How much of the USSR? I'm not talking about the the rest of the Warsaw Pact, but the, just the actual USSR is not USSR now. I know. So besides Ukraine, what? Yeah. A huge chunk. I mean, because... Like what else? I know Belarus, but Belarus is pretty much part of Russia now. Right. Kazakhstan is huge. Um, That's where the the space drone, the aerodrome, Mm. uh, I forget the name, uh, that they use primarily is... And what is the status of Kazakhstan? Because I know there was a coup there or something, wasn't there? Yes. So so Kazakhstan is run by an oligarch um, Mm. who people were rebelling, standing up to recently, and the Russians sent in the military and and quelled it. That's Mm. one of the largest. But then you had... Uh, Kyrgyzstan, which is small, Uzbekistan, which is quite big. And are these still um, the, separate today? Yes, these okay. are countries run. Kyrgyzstan, I'm not sure if it's an oligarchy mm-hmm. right now. There, I see a lot of tourism messages from them. Uh, Uzbeks, I, I believe, are run by um, uh, some kind of a family that now mm-hmm. passed it on to the daughter or something. Um, who else am I missing? Georgia? Oh, Turkmenistan. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Georgia also. That's right. I almost forgot. And I, I think that Armenia is actually part of the Soviet Union reluctantly. I think that... that so are, are we... Are we? Is part of the fear that um, after Ukraine, he's going to get all those all those people back too? All those whatever republics or whatever they're called? I suppose not. But he hasn't... You know, he, he, he bombed Georgia in 2008. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was not long ago. Uh, and you know, he, he declared war on them and he, and he took a few pieces, right? There's two new countries on the border. Um, he holds a military occupation in a part of Moldova where a lot of refugees are going now. I don't think he's going to go into all these places. Well, one, the ones I just labeled the, the big ones, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, he doesn't have to go in. They're part of an alliance. Mm-hmm. They share security protocols. They, they do more or less what Putin wants. And, and it's proven because when something bad goes on in the country, it's the Russian military that comes. You know, how weird would that be if, like, the Canadian military came in to, like, intervene because uh, people are, uh, I don't know, attacking the capital? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, maybe maybe that would have helped. Uh, but um, so he doesn't have to worry about those big countries that I, the stands, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It is a question, especially when he starts saying Ukraine was never a country, which is not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he can stretch that further. He could say uh, Estonia was Russian and has a Russian-speaking majority that is being oppressed. I mean, the, the Russian minority 
Russian-speaking minority in, in Estonia does complain a lot about their status in the country, he could become the liberator of Russian peoples. Not only that, they have a stretch of land that I did manage to go to, Kaliningrad, which is on the, oof, come on brain, Baltic Sea. It's so weird because it's not connected to Russia, yeah. but it's a Russian little piece of land. I drove there from Poland. And um, okay. why not connect them? You know, if I look at what's going on with the map of Ukraine, he's connecting Crimea to Russia yeah. through better, more direct ways. So I know that like, at least at the end of the Soviet Union, the Baltics were not part of the Soviet Union, but they were part of the Warsaw Pact. But I think they were part of Russia. Like when my family came from there, because they were from Lithuania, they were from, it was Russia. Their passport said Russia. So, were, but were, was that before the Soviet Union or was that ever part of the Soviet I, Union? I, I think each case is a little different. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I mm. believe like, for example, Estonia, I think was a republic for a brief time might have been between World War One and World War Two, uh, and 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 different times in history before that. A, a lot of these cases are countries that have a national identity at some point had a government, and that it was squashed. And it wasn't just squashed by Russia; it might have been squashed by Prussia yeah. or, or whatever else in the region. God, I mean, that's I wish, a lot of these like countries I'm... have been walked over a lot of times, including Poland. You know, has been walked over a whole lot of times, and is now extremely nervous. I wish I could know more of this history and like and then when i learn stuff i forget it anyway you know what i mean yeah, like it's I'm just fucking hard. Anyone i would i want a website that just shows me where all the bombs are falling right now like i want a bomb map because i want to know where all the conflicts are now and i want to be able to have a bar that says okay past 24 hours like financial stuff past 48 hours past three months i want to see all the bombs and i want to see the flags as to who the who the weapons belong to and who actually th you know, bomb them. Yeah, I, I just want a conflict map. Is there such a thing? Yes, there is. Yes, really? there is. I don't know who's producing it. I've seen. Um, I, I'd have to go looking for okay. it. Well, if you find that, let me know. I need to end. This could go on forever, but I feel like hours ago. Yeah. And look, if people are listening and think like, "Who is this person?" or you know, his history is wrong. Like, I apologize. I'm not trying to mess you up uh, uh by all means look up these things i'm not looking them up as i talk we're just trying uh, to figure shit out we're not experts i'm certainly and, and, and by the way the, the reason that he wouldn't go further just to close mm -hmm. that uh to estonia or whatever is supposed to be because of nato right that's the reason so i should mention that i, I realize that but who's to say nato actually does what they promise they do in an emergency maybe they go Ew, i don't want to escalate you know right. so just because you promise to do something doesn't mean you're going to do it and uh I don't know. If I look around, I feel like bah. people would also go, is he just taking Estonia now? Mm. Right. People Can't they just like conflict and I don't blame them. But did you watch, you know, seeing see on opening ceremonies on the Olympics, you know how like in China or maybe wherever Japan, they have those giant, like they'll have like a thousand drones and they make these beautiful sculptures in the sky. Okay. So you've yeah. seen that. Like, okay, if you can do all that shit with drones, can't you get like a thousand drones in Moscow and then the second Putin comes out of his car, just like shoot like a thousand poison darts at his ass? I mean, like, Don't why know. can't they do that? Yeah. You know, I got a, I got a reprimand from Facebook because I suggested. Oh, I thought it was allowed. <laughs> I thought violence against Russia was allowed This now. was before that. This was last <laughs> week. It was this past week. And I was basically... Somebody was saying how awful it was for Lindsey Graham to threaten Putin's life. And I was saying, well, yeah, but maybe, but I would rather Putin get killed than 
thousands and thousands of soldiers and innocent civilians. And for that, I got a reprimand from Facebook. Can you imagine? It's you're always this is always <sighs> your life match. Like you were too late to Bitcoin, mm-hmm. early to recommending violence on Facebook against Russia. Sorry. Well, I wasn't too late for Bitcoin. I was too late to invest in it, but I was at the first conference. I just was too stupid to invest in it. But yeah, point taken. I was too early for podcasting though, so were you. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We yeah. suck. Oof. But I'm not going to do any NFTs. Yeah, I'm going to eat some chocolate. Thanks, Mark. I hope everything's good with you and your uh, new family. Might be be getting better and better. If if the girl's happy, I'm happy. I enjoy seeing the pictures on Instagram. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll keep putting up a few. I I had to consider her privacy, but then I realized, whatever, we'll figure that out later. Uh, You know what my cousin did that's actually very, I thought it was very clever, is... I'm sorry, I'm looking from the album I'm going to play next. I, I love the recordings you play at the end of the Grum, oh, by the way. I enjoy them. Some of the, the one I played last time was a Joan Fontaine uh, radio play on the last Grum, and I'm going to play the other side of it when I when I find it. But you know that like I it was from 1960 something, and I opened it from plastic. It was brand new huh. when I opened it li- just last week. So this one yeah. is going to come, but I'm really excited about this one. Sing along with JFK. Yeah, sing along with JFK. Actual voices, yeah. JFK. Laugh and says laugh along with Nixon next. But uh, we're oh, going to do the other side of Joan Fontaine. Wasn't Joan Fontaine? It was uh, Sunset Boulevard lady. What's her name? Oh, yeah. uh, Marilyn? No. No. Um, whatever. Doesn't matter. All the games. But I also like you had the um, Yiddish comedian. You've yeah. Had a, a lot guy. of them. <laughs> The rhythm of the talking, mm-hmm. like listening to a song or mm-hmm. I heard, um, uh, what's it called? An auction, like a cattle auctioneer mm-hmm. on a podcast the other day. And he was breaking down how he does the, God wants it and it's going to the two, it is a three. And, and listening to that and being able to focus wherever I was, it's incredible. And the same thing with the Yiddish comedian, the words that slip into what at first is just a regular English right. sentence, but like, I loved it. I loved it. I really was glued. Yeah, I grew up with people that talk like that. And I never knew what the fuck they said. were saying. I still don't. But it's fun to, it's fun to have it. I just it, for me, it's just a matter of preserving history. I just want it there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right, Mark. Thank you so much. I'm going to play right. my album I'll now. On the paper grum, people should subscribe to it. Yes, match.substack.com. It funds this grum. You yeah. care. Okay. Bye. Bye, bye Madge. Squish sound. Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you the distinguished actor, Mr. Ronald Coleman, in one of the great suspense stories of our time, August Heat. Eniston Road, Clapham, August the 20th, 1945. I have had what I believe to be the most remarkable day in my life. And while the events are still fresh in my mind, I wish to put them down on paper as clearly as possible.
let me say at the outset that my name is James Clarence Withencroft. You must remember that in order to have the full implication of my story. James Clarence Withencroft. I'm 40 years old, in perfect health, never having known a day's illness. By profession, I am an artist. Not a very successful one, but I earn enough money by my black and white work to satisfy my necessary wants. My only near relative, a sister, died five years ago, so that there is no one in particular to whom I address this manuscript. Only you, who might by chance read it someday. For, because of the peculiar circumstance about which you will soon hear, I have the strong premonition that I shall never live to tell anyone about it. I breakfasted this morning at nine at the usual time. It was no different from any other morning. And after glancing through the morning paper, I lighted my pipe. And I proceeded to let my mind wander in the hope that I might chance upon some subject for my pencil. The room, though door and window were open, was oppressively hot. And I had just made up my mind that the coolest and most comfortable place in the neighborhood would be the deep end of the public swimming bath when... when I was suddenly shaken. A feeling swept over me such as I had never experienced before. I attempted to rise to my feet, but somehow it seemed as though I had suddenly been fastened to my chair. My hand went out in an effort to brace myself. And then, before I knew what I was doing, my pencil was in my hand, and I began to draw. It was as though someone had taken my hand and was moving it across the paper, swiftly, in bold strokes. And then I seemed to take over. My hand, under its own power, began to draw. I soon forgot the oppressive heat. Everything was forgotten in this frantic feeling that the sketch must be finished as soon as possible. I had no idea how long I worked until I heard the clock of St. Jude's in the distance. It was four o'clock, and I had started just after breakfast. Now, for the first time since I'd begun, I actually seemed to see what I had been sketching. I was surprised. The final result was I felt sure the best thing I'd ever done. It showed a criminal in the dock immediately after the judge had pronounced sentence. The man was fat, enormously fat. The flesh hung in rolls about his chin. It creased his huge, stumpy neck. He was clean-shaven, or perhaps I should say a few days before he must have been clean-shaven, and he was almost bald. He stood there before the judge, his short, clumsy fingers clasping the rail, looking straight in front of him. The feeling that his expression conveyed was not so much one of horror as of utter, absolute collapse. There seemed nothing in the man strong enough to sustain that mountain of flesh. And then, and then I saw that the sketch wasn't complete. 
for the man's other hand seemed to be clutching an instrument of some kind, a weapon, but, but it hadn't been completed. I had made this sketch and yet I had no recollection of what I'd intended the man to carry in his other hand. I took up my pencil again and I attempted to fill in the fuzzy outline, but, but it was useless. It was as though my fingers had suddenly turned to lead. I sat down and I felt the moisture slowly forming on my forehead. And once again, I was conscious of the oppressive heat. Then I knew that there would be no finishing of the sketch, at any rate not for the moment. So I rolled it up and without quite knowing why, I put it in my pocket. In spite of my peculiar inspiration, I was filled with a rare sense of happiness which the knowledge of a good thing well done gives. I believe that I set out with the idea of calling upon Trenton, for I remember walking along Lytton Street and turning to the right along Gilchrist Road at the bottom of the hill where the men are at work on the new tram line. From there onwards, I have only the vaguest recollection of where I went. Through parks, along crowded streets, always conscious of the awful heat that came up from the dusty asphalt pavement in a suffocating wave. sound of my footsteps as I moved along. Although walking aimlessly, I somehow knew that there was a goal, a something to which I was drawn. I longed for the thunder promised by the great banks of copper-colored clouds that hung low over the western sky. I've really no idea how far I walked when a small boy roused me from my abstraction. We got the time, mister. Twenty minutes to seven. Thanks. Hot enough for you, sir? Yes. When he left me, I began to take stock of my bearings. I found myself standing before a gate that led into a yard bordered by a strip of thirsty earth. There were flowers, purple stock and scarlet geranium, and great numbers of bees droned over them. I stood looking down at them for a moment, and then, for some reason, I looked up. Over the entrance to the place, there was a board with the inscription, Charles Atkinson, Monumental Mason, worker in English and Italian marbles. From the yard itself came a cheery whistle, a noise of hammer blows and the cold sound of steel meeting stone. A sudden impulse made me enter, and I went in, in, in the direction of the noise. There was a man, sitting with his back towards me. He was busy at work on a slab of curiously veined marble. Then, without turning, his hammer stopped in mid-air, as he was about to bring it down on his chisel. He held his position a moment before turning, but I knew that he was aware of my presence, and when he turned, I saw his face. It was, although I'd never seen him before, 
It was the face of the man I had been drawing. Yes, it was the face of the man whose sketch was in my pocket. He sat there on his low stool, huge and elephantine, the sweat pouring from his scalp, not speaking. Then he took a red silk handkerchief and he mopped his brow. Although this face that looked up at me was the same as my sketch, the expression was absolutely different. Suddenly the puzzled expression left his face and he smiled as if we were old friends. And he walked over and he took my hand. Good day, sir. Good day. I'm sorry to intrude. Not at all. Everything is so hot and glary outside. This, this is like an oasis in the wilderness. <laughs> I don't know about an oasis, but it certainly is hot. Whew. Take a seat, sir. He pointed to the end of the gravestone on which he was at work, and I sat down. Very hot. That's uh, a beautiful piece of stone you've got hold of. In a way it is. The surface here is as fine as anything you could wish. But there's a big floor at the back. Oh, I don't expect you'd notice it. Oh, I shouldn't think so. I could never really do a good job in a bit of marble like that. It would uh, be all right in the summer like this. Uh, wouldn't mind the blasted heat. <laughs> Wait until the winter comes. Winter? There's nothing quite like frost to find out the weak points in stone. Oh. A, a gravestone, you see? Oh, I see. Mm. Then what's this one for? <laughs> You'd hardly believe if I was to tell you, but it's for exhibition. It's the truth. Artists have exhibitions, so do grocers and butchers. Oh! We have them too. All the latest little things in headstones, you know. He went on to talk of marbles, which sort of marble best withstood wind and rain, and which were easiest to work. Then of his garden and some new sort of carnation he had bought. At the end of every other minute, he would drop his tools, wipe his shining head. This heat, this heat's bad. A man's not responsible for what he does, this heat. I said little, for I felt uneasy. There was something unnatural, uncanny in all of this, the feeling that I'd experienced it all before. The oppressive heat, the fragrance of the stucks in the air, the conversation about the marble, the flowers, everything as though I, I had experienced it before. And yet I knew that I'd never ever been in this section of town before. I tried to persuade myself that at least I'd seen him before. That his face, unknown to me, had found a place in some out-of-the-way corner of my memory. But I knew that I was practicing little more than a plausible piece of self-deception. As I sat there quietly, watching him, he looked up at me and he said, <sighs> There. What do you think of that? He said it with an air of evident pride. Of a job well done. I could sense that he was experiencing the same feeling I had experienced when I had finished my sketch. Then he got up with a sigh of relief. <clears throat> Hot. Hot, ain't it? I was seated in such a position that I was unable to see his work. And for some reason, I didn't move. Suddenly, 
he began to read what he'd carved on the tombstone. He spoke deliberately and with a flat voice. In the midst of life, we are in death. Born January 18, 1905. I looked up with a start. This man had read my exact birth date. He passed away very suddenly on August 20th, 1945. That's today. We usually use the present date on these exhibition stones. Do you... Do you usually put a name on them too? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, Sacred to the memory of James Clarence Withencroft. Cold shudder swept over me, and I sat there in silence. The sound of birds and crickets seemed loud in my ears as we stood there, looking at each other, saying nothing. And then he mopped his brow again. Hot. Hot. I was finally able to speak. Where, where did you see that name? Hmm? Oh, I didn't see it anywhere. I wanted some name and I put down the first that came into my head. It's a strange coincidence, but it happens to be mine. Huh? That's your name? You're uh, James uh, Clarence... Uh... Withencroft, yes. Well... And uh, the dates? I can only answer for the birth date. It's correct. Oh. That's a rum go. I made a sketch this morning. Of you. Uh, of me? But you've never seen me before. No. Oh. Oh. I took my sketch from my pocket and I showed it to him. As he looked, the expression on his face altered until it became more and more like that of the man I had drawn. And it was only the other day before that I told Mariah there were no such things as ghosts. Neither of us had seen a ghost, but I knew what he meant. Then I spoke to him. You... Oh, you probably heard my name someplace. Yes. You must have seen me somewhere and never forgotten it. Yes, yes. Uh, were you at uh, uh, Clacton-on-Sea um, last uh, July? No. No, I've never been to Clacton in my life. Oh. And we were silent for some time again. And we stood there looking at one another and at the two dates on the gravestone. And the birth one was right, and the other was today. 
Well, come inside and have some supper. His wife was a strange little woman who was pallid with the look of those who live their lives indoors. Her husband introduced me as a friend of his who was an artist, and he informed her that I was staying to supper. I spoke, making some comment that I hoped I wouldn't be an intrusion, and she looked up at me and she said, You have a pleasing voice, Mr. Withencroft, and you're welcome in my home. I'm sorry Charles has not brought you here before. Very little was said during the meal, and after the sardines and watercress had been removed, she walked over to a cupboard, and she took down a thin black book, and as she handed it to me, she spoke. Would you read aloud, Mr. Withencroft? Puzzled, I, I looked down at the book which she'd opened and placed before me. It was a very tiny book, The Prophet, it was called, by an author unknown to me with a strange Eastern name, Khalil Gibran. And my eyes fell across the page, and suddenly I was reading, aloud, as she'd asked me to. Then Almitra spoke, saying... We would ask now of death. And he said, You would know the secret of death. But how shall you find it unless you seek it in the heart of life? The owl, whose night-bound eyes are blind unto the day, cannot unveil the mystery of light. If you would indeed behold the spirit of death, open your heart wide unto the body of life. For life and death are one, even as the river and the sea are one. In the depth of your hopes and desires lies your silent knowledge of the beyond. And like seeds dreaming beneath the snow, your heart dreams of spring. Trust the dreams, for in them is hidden the gate to eternity. Your fear of death is but the trembling of the shepherd when he stands before the king whose hand is to be laid upon him in honor. Is the shepherd not joyful beneath his trembling that he shall wear the mark of the king? Yet is he not more mindful of his trembling? For what is it to die but to stand naked in the wind and to melt into the sun? And what is it to cease breathing but to free the breath from its restless tides, that it may rise and expand and seek God unencumbered. Only when you drink from the river of silence shall you indeed sing. And when you have reached the mountain top, then you shall begin to climb. And when the earth shall claim your limbs, then shall you truly dance.
I looked up, Mr. Atkinson had gone. But his wife stood before me, and as she took the book, she spoke. Thank you. Then I went outside. And I found Atkinson sitting on the gravestone and smoking. He looked up at me. Hot. Hot. Man's not responsible for what he might do in this heat. She never asked anyone to read aloud before. And then we talked about the sketch again. He looked at it. Likeness is me, all right. On trial. Uh, you, you must excuse my asking, but... Uh, do you know of anything you've done for which you could be put on trial? No, I've done nothing. <laughs> Not yet. He got up fetched a can from the porch, and he began to water the flowers. Twice a day regular in the hot weather, and then the heat sometimes gets the better of the delicate ones, and ferns. Good Lord, they could never stand it. Where do you live? I told him my address. It would take an hour's quick walk to get back home. And he stopped watering, and he faced me squarely. It's like this. We look at the matter straight. If you both go back home tonight, you'd take your chance of accidents. A cart may run over you. There's always banana skins and orange peels, to say nothing of falling ladders. He spoke of the improbable with an intense seriousness that would have been laughable six hours before. But I did not laugh. The best thing we can do is for you to stay here till 12 o'clock. Then it'll be tomorrow, do you see? Yes. We'll go upstairs and smoke. Maybe cooler inside. And to my surprise, I agreed. We are sitting in a long, low room beneath the eaves. Atkinson has sent his wife to bed. He himself is, is busy sharpening some tools at a little oilstone, smoking one of my cigars the while. And as I look at my sketch before me, I suddenly see the fuzzy outline of what the man in the picture holds in his hands. But while I had not been able to sketch it before, I am able to do so now. It is a chisel and it is stained with dark liquid. Ah, the sketch is completed now. The air seems charged with thunder, and I hear it in the distance. It is ominous, but, but it carries the hope of rain. Perhaps this damnable heat will, will be broken soon and the day will soon be over. It is close to 12. I'm writing this at a, at a shaky table before the open window. The leg is cracked and Atkinson, who 
seems a handy man with his tools, is going to mend it as soon as he has finished putting an edge on his chisel. There. It is twelve. The day is over. And I shall be going home. But the heat, the heat is stifling. This heat is enough to send a man mad.